ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, TV time is here. That's right. We're talking about Mork and Mindy. I'm not fucking with you. On Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from Boulder, Colorado. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we're dedicated, usually, to celebrating uh, the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. And, of course, on our off weeks now, we try to talk about horror tangentially related episodes of normal TV shows. And, of course, there's only one person that I trust to support the Chicago Boy Scouts. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? Uh, I thought you were going to tell me the only the only person I trust to bring me mounds and mounds of cocaine. <laughs> this is a very cocaine-driven episode of television, which I am sure is true of every episode of Mork and Mindy. A, a TV show I'm sure I watched, but as I watched this, I'm like, this happened? Because I have no recollection of any of this. Oh, I very much loved this show when I was a child. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, obviously, I, I, I don't remember this specific episode. I was on like maybe like seven mm-hmm. or eight of that when, when the show premiered. But I I loved Mork and Mindy. It, I had a pair of, I had a pair of hamsters named Mork and Mindy. Okay. Uh, oh, I have dear. A, okay. I, I, have a, I have an anecdote uh, about having Mork and Mindy in a cage together. And being really alarmed when I saw uh, what appeared to be little pink jelly beans in the uh, in the oh. in the cage one morning, uh, they got it on. <laughs> they had little they, they had little morklings. Uh, we now did they come out an older person who was going to age backwards because that of course God, is what I happens wish. on the show. That's the only thing I remember. Yeah, that's when it got real like re- real weird. Um, yeah, I, I, this, this, this kind of, this revisit kind of hurt. It, it, it hurt me a little bit. <laughs> sure, right, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's tough to. I mean, listen, we all loved crap as, as children, and that's perfectly fine. But then you revisit some of that crap, and you're like, oh my god, like this is what I found entertaining at the time, and, uh, <laughs> wow, I, I did. Now, this is like, did they, I thought the whole setup was he arrives, she is working in a store with her dad, who does not like him very much, who is bald. And then this apparently is season two, and they've kicked that motherfucker to the curb. They're like, no, we don't like anything of that. We are bringing in Jay Thomas and some woman who's supposedly a sister, and they're going to be a part of the show. Yeah, I, you know, I can't remember the order of it because, yeah, you have this, uh, this brother sister who are, you know, they they run a New York style delicatessen. Um, mm-hmm. You have this kind of like nerdy business guy, and I, I thought that the, the, the. Uh, that they brought the dad back later, but that I can't remember that for certain. But yeah, there, there's definitely the bald dad who doesn't like him because I remember this bald this, yes. guy, this actor played a lot of bald dads who doesn't who don't like boyfriends. 
Yeah, he specialized in that. And that was who I was expecting to show up. And so when Jay Thomas appears, I'm like, the fuck is going on here? Like, I had no <laughs> recollection of this setup at all. I'm like, is this late in the series? No, this is season two somehow of this show. And so, you know, maybe I just didn't come on board until later in its run. I don't know. I don't, who knows? But uh, I was astounded by that fact. Um, also, it should be noted that the version that we watched for this is available on YouTube and comes complete with Chicago area commercials. So it is entirely possible we will spend more time talking about those commercials than the actual episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I really loved Robin Williams. I really, really did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was brokenhearted yeah. when he passed away, but it is hard watching his early performance footage because just like the, he, he is a pile of cocaine roughly shaped into a human being. Uh, I remember like, like the, 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 the funny thing is, is the, the Mork persona is just, it's just him. It's basically yeah. just him and, and a cleaner, a cleaner, more family friendly version of his comedy. Um, because yes. if you watch, like he did an HBO special roughly around this time and he's dressed exactly the same with the weird sort of like, almost like a, like a street Deep mime scoop neck. outfit, yeah. Yeah, like the, with the, you know, overalls and like suspenders <laughs> and shit and like, and just a very rapid fire, you know, you know, you know, talking a mile a minute thing, you know, constantly reverting from, you know, one impersonation to another, just the sweat, the constant sweating that's just pouring out of his body. It's, it's, it's astonishing. There's like a scene where he walks in to the room and he's been, he's been frightened by something and his hair is standing up. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it just did that. No, I don't think there's a lot of product being used in Robin Williams hair at this point. It just, <laughs> that's what it did. I, I, I think you showed up to set and they're like, well, we could put a comb through it, but that's not what's in right now. And so, yeah, it's just kind of standing up on end. Um, basically the premise for this particular episode, which is happening the same year that Amityville Horror comes out. So haunted houses are very in. So I'm sure it's riffing off that. And one thing we didn't mention, actually, on our Amityville Horror episode for uh, Amityville for the holidays, was it, we said, oh, it was the number two movie in theaters behind Superman. Superman was, tech nowadays, the way you would count that, is that Superman was released in Christmas 1978. So it really was, the that was competing with Grease for the highest grossing movie in 1978, which pretty much puts the Amityville Horror in the number one slot. That's how fucking huge that dumb, boring movie with two very sexy people in it is. And so they, they're coming back. It's Halloween. They're going to do a Haunted House episode. And somehow Mindy's dad has moved away and she is now responsible for selling this house. And she is reticent to do so because she grew up in it. And you've got, um, you've got Tom Poston playing Tom Poston, I think is what this is. I'm not, 
it's not a character so much, whatever he's doing here. Yeah, no, he's just kind of their stuffy skin flint neighbor. Yeah, I think he lives in the same apartment that they do, which appears to be like a duplex. Like they live in the upstairs and maybe he lives downstairs. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And so for some reason, he's like in the market to buy this house and she's going to sell it to someone she knows, which I again, hire a real estate professional, but okay. And then Mork appears walking through a door that he's (laughs) wallpapered over. Yeah. And this is also the point where uh, this character is popular enough with audiences where it's, I I call it the, the, the happy days phenomenon where uh, you have, you you have a show that's filmed in front of a live audience and the character appears on screen that has to stop and stand there for about, 20, about 15 <laughs> seconds while the audience, you know, wildly applauds and cheers them. I mean, he he can't do anything without the audience literally falling apart while he does it. At one point, he just exits with his pants down. And this is enough to, like, I'm surprised the soundstage did not burn to the ground. That is how hot the audience is for the, the comedic styles Do you ever see, like, that are uh, on display the- here. Remember, um, I think it was like Deaf Comedy Jam on, on HBO during the 90s. And like sure, they would yeah. cut to the audience uh-huh. and they'd be like jumping up and down on the seats and like, <laughs> yes, like high fiving each other and all. <laughs> it's like, like they it's can't, basically, it's a it's concert. They like can't that. believe they're a part of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a phenomenon. <laughs> it, it, they, they, who is possessed in this circumstance is the audience because. They are so fucking hot for everything that comes out of Robin Williams' mouth that he can barely perform it. And then in the in the show's third act, it becomes a one-man show where he is doing three entirely different female characters, two for comedy and one for pathos. And the audience doesn't know what to do. Yeah, that was the that was the uh, the the thing that that I completely forgot was how a lot of the episodes of the show took this like really clumsy turn into sentimentality. And yeah, that's something yeah. that that you know, like I said, this was this was before Robin Williams started doing serious stuff, and he was very good at it. But but yeah, yeah, when he was yeah. when he was when he could not turn it off, he was unbearable. I I don't I don't I don't yeah. I don't like to speak ill of the dead, but some of his more mawkish movies are are impossible to watch now because again he's still he's not being you know the Robin Lee when he's not being the Robin Lee's persona, he's much better. But here yeah. it's just, you know, it's constant, yo, 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 whoa, funny voice, funny voice, funny voice, sad <laughs> voice, funny voice, funny voice, sad voice. But yeah, yeah. you're right. That people and his don't idea people, of what is feminine is weird. Well, it's I do, also I, another I, issue I do, here. I do like the little fan opening gesture. That was very funny. Uh, um, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, yeah, you're absolutely right that when he does this turn where he's like possessed by the ghost of Mindy's mother. <laughs> Um, and like you can tell that you're right that the audience doesn't know how to like they're like is this supposed to be funny because you can you can like hear a couple people in the audience be like "Eh, eh, 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 eh." (laughs) (laughs) when is he gonna sit on his head i guess is the question i have is what you can kind of 
mill about in the audience. When is he going to make a fart Um, noise? I don't know what to do here. (laughs) Uh, Is this an impression of someone who isn't famous is kind of the undercurrent of what's going on. But yeah, they like, they kind of set it up that Tom Poston might be buying this house. And then, um, but then they go to the opening credits and we reveal that. that jay thomas is in this and i'm like oh my god jay tom if, was the goal with jay thomas to find someone slightly hairier than robin <laughs> williams as a contrast like he's listen it's not just people from outer space who are this hairy there's also jay thomas there's also jay thomas and there's cousin it that's all of them <laughs> that's yeah if you were to like there are three kinds of men there's a robin williams there's the jay thomas and cousin it and there's nothing in between um oh boy 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 we got the first commercial break and <laughs> this is where i discovered that sears's approach in 1979 about a sale was to go here's a bare stage and a guy who looks like he works in fantasy island to tell you that tvs are 50 dollars off <laughs> did you have a when you grew up did your parents have one of those 500 pound console televisions in their living room y- yes it was uh, immense. The biggest console thing that we had was actually a record player slash radio. And it was the size of my office. It it went on forever. It was solid wood. Everything was packed into this one giant console. I would die for this thing now. But it was so fucking high. Like it was four feet high for a record player, radio, and speakers. Why was it so goddamn huge? And um, I would play uh, the two records that I bought with my own money. Uh, my first uh, 12-inch records would be the soundtrack to uh, Flash Gordon. And uh, I believe Men at Work. Would that, those one, two are, are my first records. How about you? Uh, my first records that I bought with my very own money was um, the soundtrack to Xanadu. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, do you remember, like, when uh, KTEL used to do those, like, compilations of, like, uh, uh, of course. hits? Of the- I, I had one. Um, I bet, I bet like, going by the tracks, around, I could probably find it. And I'll bet somebody probably ripped it onto YouTube at some point. But it was uh, basically just, like, a kind of, like, compilation, like, hits of, like, 1980 or 1981. Because I remember specifically mm-hmm. that um, Funky Town was on it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I a think, classic. I think um, in the Navy was <laughs> the the village people's best hit in the Navy, um, <laughs> which is kind of indistinguishable from their other hits. Uh, yeah, the first the first forty fives that I owned were Valley Girl by Frank Zappa and Whip It by Devo. So basically in the same pocket there. Uh, but those weren't full album purchases. I wasn't cool enough to have an entire album of Devo. I only had the 45. Yeah, my first um, 45 purchase was Rock the Casbah. And it wasn't until I was much, much well, older yeah. that I that I listened to other songs by The Clash. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a little different than their usual tunes. Um, what I did like about the Sears commercial in particular was that someone there is like, you know what this this set needs more of? Decorative flower bouquets. 
<laughs> it gives him a touch of class. Yeah. And then at one point he opens up a microwave oven and there's a full fucking turkey inside of it, Gina. Who microwaves an entire turkey with its legs trussed, I might add, and I mean, what appears to be vegetables underneath it? Don't you remember, don't you remember and, I, and I'm being totally serious about this, that there was a time when, like, you're basically, we were basically told that microwaving everything was going to be, like, the wave of the future, that, like, eventually you wouldn't even need, you wouldn't even need an oven or anything, you could just, you just nuke everything. Oh, my God. I can't imagine. If you put a, if you put a full turkey in a microwave goddamn oven. It would never be done. It would never, it would never be done. No, and it certainly wouldn't look like it looks in that commercial, uh, which is like somehow they're going to hand it to Scrooge on the Christmas morning <laughs> that he wakes up, understanding what the Christmas spirit is. It's just like it's basically um, basically going to be you know scorched on the outside, still frozen on the inside, and full of cancer. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do like that Sears' whole approach at this moment in time was. We've been around so long. What could possibly take us off the board? And that proved to be a great philosophy. Disco lives forever. <laughs> um, what I did not particularly care for with the Tom Poston section of uh, this, it, you know, this is this house that you might want to buy was at one point Mork sends off Mindy because she's going to make dinner for a friend and she and he's like, yeah, go make dinner uh, for me. And it's almost it's a domestic violence joke, I think, where he's like, she likes when I talk rough to her, and it's like, what the fuck is going on here? Why is this funny? Well, I mean, again, think of it from the the perspective of like 1979, and also that like Robin Williams looks like a big puppy dog, and you know nobody would ever actually mm. believe that that you know that he would hurt her. So, I mean, I, I could see at the time where people would, would find it an inoffensive joke. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I was uh, thrown by that, but not as thrown as, as once you get back to Mindy's apartment and she has made this meal for her friend. And she's like, the, the selling my childhood home is the toughest thing that I've ever had to do. And then the friend's like, the toughest thing I had to do was give a physical to my, to a doctor in his Corvette. And she's like, I'm still picking fiberglass out of my skin. Like what the fuck was happening inside of Corvettes with fiberglass <laughs> in 1979? Cause the audience is like, this is, this is very, very funny. And I'm like, I don't know what this means. It's like, did she like, did she like crawl, had to crawl through the windshield or something to escape? Uh, yeah. I don't uh, like fiberglass <laughs> will be on the outside of it. So like, yeah. Did she have to like pop out of the door to get away from him? Was this sexual harassment? Was she attacked? I don't know. It's not particularly funny. It is just very very odd i just just as an aside real quick i i tend i watch a lot of old commercials because I, I do find them very relaxing and and you know i do enjoy mm -hmm. the weird little jolt of nostalgia but it yeah. is interesting how and you know it's one of the billions of things i i you know insist i'm going to write about one of these days i never get to it like even well into like the late 80s 
like the casual jokes about sexual harassment that you know were were yeah. were, were prevalent in in commercials. Like uh, there was a uh, a toothpaste brand. I don't think they're around anymore. And, and good riddance if they're not. Um, it's not mm-hmm. Pearl Draw. Ultra Bright. Ultra Bright is the and it's basically okay. like everything. It's they're all sexual harassment jokes. It's like oh. I'm a doctor who never noticed my nurse until she had a brighter smile. You know, now we're examining oh, each other all the time. And it's like, ew. Oh, no, no. <laughs> no, no, you are co-workers, you fucking asshole. It's um, the 70s, babe. So, classy, classy time. So Mark, Mork pops at Mark. Uh, let's call him Mark. Um, Mark, Mark and pops Mandy. into the apartment and... <laughs> <laughs> Mark and Mandy, uh, he pops in and he is frazzled and he's like, um, a whole bunch of tropes happened to me from the Amityville horror. And um, he just, he knows a lot of famous athlete names from an, for being an, an alien from outer space. Like, why does he know so much pop culture shit? Yeah, he also knows he what a ghost is. A year ago. He knows what a ghost is. You know, he he knows yeah. like the, what what something being haunted means, which is which is which is odd. Well, I I do think it's one of those shows. And obviously, you know, a lot of fish out of water TV shows, you know, will do this where you know, however much he you know, you however much he does or doesn't know about you know Earth and its strange mm-hmm. customs changes from from week to week depending on how much the plot needs him to know. It's so fucking odd. And so they go back to the apartment and this is where they discover they are not alone because uh, Mork's friend Exodore is there who claims to be an alien, but is not. If I'm remembering what his backstory is. He's just mentally ill. (laughs) Right. This this is how we portrayed the mentally ill in 1979. Back when you could have a mentally ill person be comic reliever. (laughs) And it it really does show you, though, like the talent level of Robin Williams is that when you give somebody else his stuff to do, this is how it comes out. It's just a very odd presentation. And I, in that in that ABC promo that was going around a few months ago where everyone's dancing in white tuxedo outfits, is he the guy whose eye is bugging out while someone else is singing? He's like, <laughs> is that Exodore? Or is that some other fucking dude who looks exactly like him and is doing his shtick? I'd have to go back and 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 watch, but possibly. I didn't care for it, but it's taking up a whole bunch of space. Like a whole lot of this feels like this hell has to happen over 24 minutes on stage and just shit needs to get in the way. And if it's this guy claiming he's taking a vacation in your closet, like, please let's do this for an extended period of time. Just five solid fucking minutes of this guy doing Robin Williams shtick while Robin is in another room. (laughs) I don't, I did not care for it. So then we cut to commercial and I'm like, Oh, thank God. Here we go. Now the entertainment begins and it's hi, I'm Cheryl Teagues and I feel at home in front of the camera. 
And I'm like, okay, uh uh-huh, what's next? And it's Little Europe from the Universal Backlot. I'm like, hot damn, baby, we're back in business. (laughs) This is the only thing I have to talk about. That's the only reason you want to do this is 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 for the opportunity yes. to to revisit the Universal Backlot and its glory. Because even when it's a Paramount show being done on a Paramount lot, there's still like the commercials still have to be filmed on the Universal Backlot. So we're right back at it, baby. Now, Little Europe uh, was built uh, very early on in the studio's life. Uh, it is used in a lot of classic movies. Where they are filming is the same courtyard. Uh, in which the Hunchback from Notre Dame was being filmed. Why these people in the Tour de France are being rooted on by a guy in a Napoleon costume, I cannot tell you. (laughs) That is a piece of information. I don't know why it exists. But like Cheryl Teagues is like, I can point my camera at these things and capture them on film. And like, "Uh uh-huh, that's what a fucking camera does. But then all the guys who are are in the race look over and like, holy shit, Cheryl Teagues, and they forget how to function as human beings. And they are (laughs) falling on the road and falling into the fucking fountain. Do you remember? I can't believe Cheryl Teagues is anywhere near me. Do you remember the 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 Saturday Night Live uh, camera parody of Stevie Wonder? (laughs) Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's one of my favorite commercial yeah. parodies. <laughs> it's really good. And honestly, it's way better advertisement for that camera than this commercial, which is just super, super odd. They're like, I am so horny for Cheryl Teagues. I don't know how my legs work anymore. <laughs> like, how does that sell cameras? I'm just going, I'm just going to risk massive body injuries and not pay attention to, to the, to, to the road on my bicycle. For those in, uh, in the know now, uh, little Europe for a long time, wasn't seen in anything beyond like a star Trek. We have to go back to Germany, 1933 sort of thing, but it was in a whole bunch of the good place. Um, it just doesn't kind of look like a little Europe anymore, although it still has cobblestone streets. It's just very, very odd. But uh, that that it's in the good place. So you, you've seen it lately. Uh, it's just, you know, dressed up in weird yogurt shop parodies. Uh, then it goes to a commercial for corn. <laughs> and there are, there are two cartoon farmers churning butter and then... The little green giant, who isn't the big green giant, is like, what the fuck are you two guys doing? It looks like you're double timing that barrel. And they're like, we're making butter sauce. Not butter, butter (laughs) sauce. And he's like, that looks hard. And the one guy responds, taint easy. Taint (laughs) easy on national goddamn television. Taint misbehaving. Far be it for me to claim that I don't like butter because I very much do. But I just don't believe you should boil your vegetables in a butter sauce. That uh, and, and that you know that was you know that was like that that's like you know that's the same that's like popcorn butter. That's like not real butter. Oh yeah, yeah, that's not a real dairy product. So then after that, we got a promo uh, for something called the Associates with uh, Frank from. Um, Murphy Murphy Brown. Apparently that did not go well. Yeah. There was also an ad for something that sounded amazing called Disaster on the Coastliner. Disaster on the Coastliner. We need to track this shit down. (laughs) 
I'm serious. <laughs> We're watching disaster on the coastliner because that has got to be two hours of nothing happening. And finally, a model of a train hits some dirt. <laughs> so supposedly these two trains are going to hit each other. And that's, that's a mo- That's a TV movie It's an hour and a half of that. I mean, I did watch, I did watch every episode of super train some years ago. So this is definitely with, within my yes. wheelhouse. I've often threatened that we're going to have to do a podcast version of it where we watch every episode of Super Train. But I think that would land us in the hospital because that would force you to watch it twice. I think yeah. the happy medium here is to watch Disaster on the Coastliner and simply make a lot of references to Super Train. I agree. So we cut back to the deli that somehow uh, Jay Thomas owns. And he is asking Robin Williams to do a lot of impersonations, um, uh, which go, I'd say it's about 50-50 on those impersonations. Yeah, I mean, we've got the Jack Nicholson, which a lot of comedians in the 70s and 80s did. Uh, Not only did did it well. It is interesting to see someone's uh, impersonation of him pre The Shining, because I feel like it changes a lot after The Shining, where everyone's doing Jack Nicholson in The Shining impersonations, as opposed to Jack Nicholson, the coolest guy you know. Like, that's exa- that's what Robin Williams is doing there. He's like, eh, he's like, he's like Jack Nicholson, you know, on the sidelines of a Lakers game, as opposed to Crazy Man, Jack Nicholson, which I think happens post-1980. Like, everyone just goes, oh, that's Jack Nicholson now. Like, uh, you know, you can't really, like, do an impersonation of Al Pacino anymore. He's it's all post heat and the devil's advocate Al Pacino. Like no one is doing impersonations of him robbing a bank for his, you know, uh, uh, to get his, his trans girlfriend an, an operation. It's all, hey, yeah, what, yeah, you know, stuff. You're right. Uh, there's just, it crosses a, a demarcation line where your the inherent thing goes. And then he does Charles Bronson. And I don't know what the fuck that was because it didn't sound like Charles Bronson nor one of his more famous lines. It's, it sounded like something out of Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the funny thing about about Mork is everybody has just kind of you know, accepted that he's this like little little weird guy that 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 that, that Mindy mm-hmm. always has like like you hang, hang hanging around her all the time and and. Uh, so you got these kind of sort of almost treat him like a like a doll where you pull a string in his back and he does right, stuff. Exactly. So we discover that there's a, a book written about the house. And if you have a book written about your house, shit has gone sideways there. I'm sorry. It's time to move out. That's that's just what happens. Like if someone took the time to write a book and it got published about your house, move the fuck out. Um Tom Poston shows up. He believes that their uh, assumption that there's a poltergeist or a spirit in the house is basically uh, some sort of ruse because he believes a quote unquote wealthy Arab has made a higher <laughs> author uh, offer. And I just, yeah, casual racism. We'll just that, let that, it fly for that now. That was another, that was another big thing in seventies and eighties jokes is wealthy Arab jokes. I mean, at least they didn't have a, a, yeah you know, an Italian-American actor show up as said wealthy Arab, which was definitely also a a, a, a thing that happened in occasion, on occasion in 70s sitcoms. 
Yeah, what's his face from Mash and Cannonball Run, whatever the fuck that was. <laughs> like, should we? Well, someone's got on on Patreon. Someone's got to force us to watch Cannonball Run again because you talk about a movie I watched the fuck out of that probably is no good at all. I I just like, yeah, it's probably a great Adrian Barbo breast delivery machine, but outside of that, it's probably terrible. Like you know, a great breast delivery machine, a great mustache delivery machine. That's about it. Yeah, that's, that's but right. let's think about let's let's go back to a minute to to this let's go back to a minute uh for a minute to this book about about uh mindy's ha- house that she mentions many many times that she grew up in it's her family mm-hmm. house but yeah. she did not know any of this information about it right she mentions like like she mentions these like these these sisters lucinda and and isabel i think was the other one and and Minnie's like, yeah. oh, I guess they must have been my aunts or something. <laughs> it's like, okay, you no one ever no one ever mentioned them to you at any point. They built this house. They murdered straight up murdered a dude, boarded themselves up inside, and no one mentions this as you grow up inside this house. And then she talks about that was my heights from two to thirteen. And she says, like, I lived in that house for 10 years. And you're like, what did you do before? What, what was it early? Did you move out of the house? It doesn't make any fucking sense. I'm sure to them, they're like, we don't need to explain this. But after the fact, I, 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 I was like, explained. <laughs> I, it's just how nice of like the, you know, the, the kids in her neighborhood to like, you know, never bring this up to her. Yeah, right. Yeah. And no relatives like, yeah, it's really brave of you to live in that house where a man died because two sisters were jealous of each other. This information then comes to light as more puts on a one-man show, including a hand fan. Um, Exeter invites them to go to the beach in the middle of a rainstorm, and so the two spirits depart with her. And then Mork is inhabited by the ghost of Mindy's dead mom. And the, 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 seri- the, the show just, like, grinds to a halt for this maudlin scene. It's supposed to be heartfelt, and you're kind of like, what the fuck is going on here? It's really hard going back and 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 like I I've written at length about television from my childhood, and, and it's always mm. so weird to see sitcoms take a a serious turn, uh, predominantly because they like a lot of times the subjects that are covered they're, they're never mentioned again afterwards like one yeah. of my favorite examples of this is uh the rather famous episode of family ties that essentially has becomes like an actor's workshop for for michael j fox uh where he's like on, <laughs> right. a, on a bare stage and you know wailing to the heavens about why his his best friend you know, has died in the car accident and then and, and he's still alive and you know, everybody's very worried about how Alex is processing this, the you know, this friend who has died that has never been mentioned before on the episode <laughs> in the series and is never mentioned again. 
he 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 just yeah. you know he processes his grief in this one episode and then in the next episode you know he's back you know saying some shit about reagan <laughs> you know he's fine <laughs> it's like you know like like we we did not know how broken up mindy was about her mother's death at this point now you know it's it's a lot it's a it's an obviously a logical thing for a person to be but you know, I think it was just assumed that her mother had died at some point, but now it's, you know, oh, you know, well, I, I haven't gotten over losing her and I don't, I don't want to sell a house. And then all it takes is like basically Mork channeling her and be like, there, there, dear, like, like make yourself like a governess in, in great expectations. You should be covered in cobwebs. You know, because I'm sure that's what Mindy's mom sounded like. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's fine. You know? <laughs> It's all yeah. over. Oh yeah, everything is fine, uh, and there's no resolution to whether or not the house is sold. And then, uh, and the other part that I had forgotten in, until rewatching this is the end of every episode is Mork reporting back to Orson, and it's basically Robin Williams doing a, a, a three minute stand up set. Did Seinfeld just rip off Mork's report as as a <laughs> like? Aren't they the, exactly the same thing? Like a framing device, kind of, kind of like summing yeah, up what the like, show was, what the episode was about. Yeah, pretty much. I think. Right. I mean, yeah, like Jerry Seinfeld. You know who had a good idea was Mork and Mindy. We should do that, <laughs> and then he fucking did. And I was like, oh, you're so original. No one has ever done this before. Uh, yeah, they did. It's fucking Mork and Mindy. Wake up and smell the coffee. I'm a Mork and Mindy truther. Um, who died in this episode? Nobody. I mean, in the episode, nobody dies, but I guess one guy bites it, basically going the psycho way where they poisoned his tea. And then two ladies who participated in that murder just go insane inside a house. Um, and then Mindy's mom, but we don't know how she passed away. She just died of, we don't want to have her on this television show disease. So if you were to die in one of those ways, which one would you choose and why? Poison tea is pretty, 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 you know, <laughs> a, a pretty old timey Victorian way to go. I wouldn't mind that. No, poison tea is great. I mean, I would like it if I got poison tea and then a shovel to the back of the head and I comedically fall on the table. Like that's really the way to go. Oh, heck yeah. But we can't all go the psycho two way. So what are you going to do? I keep asking Becky to make it happen. She's like, we don't even own a shovel. I'm like, fucking buy one. Like we can order that shit on Amazon. Just clank me on the back of the head and take me out of my misery. But she's like, no, I would like you to help raise your child. And I'm like, all right, fine. Dante returns 18, baby. <laughs> That's right. Well, if we listen, I'm going to give it to her as a present with a bow on it and a tea set. I'm like, let's make it happen, baby. Just the tago says it's time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. She's going to be very confused when that present arrives. But uh, that is something we'll have to handle at another time. Um, but that just about does it, uh, for this episode of TV terrors. Uh, but don't worry, like, uh, we'll be back for more. Hey, Gina, where can people find you on these here internets? 
I write about movies and television at thespool.net. I have a Substack where it it might be more likely that I will occasionally talk about old television. Uh, I will say that back in December, I wrote about uh, the series of Kraft Holiday Recipe commercials from the 80s, which a lot of people (laughs) found very entertaining, which is is amusing to me. Uh, And that is uh, ginawatchesthings.substack.com. And I am on Twitter and Instagram under Gina Does Things. Do it today, people. Check it out. Of course, uh, we're on Twitter and we have a Facebook group and we're on Instagram. Uh, go over to our Patreon where we have lots of fun stuff going on. We're watching all of the Friday the 13th movies and talking over them in a commentary form. If you enjoyed our Friday the 13th commentary that rele- that we released on Friday the 13th. You will enjoy those and our Halloween commentaries that came before it. They're very entertaining. Uh, we also talked about Phantom of the Paradise. Uh, and that just about does it until next week. Uh, uh, Josh Hall says all of our artwork. And Revenge Body does this theme. And all the remixes go to Revenge Body Memphis at bandcamp.com to get that and more. And don't worry, folks, the body body count will continue for myself and Virginia. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.